Hi, this is Christian Kuhn of Urban Village Church in Chicago. Welcome back to my sermon podcast uh, as I huddle down here in my little office uh, in almost single digits below zero wind chill here in Chicago, but uh, the warmth of the spirit will be with us uh, as we reflect on this word together, and I'm looking forward to sharing some thoughts. Today's passage will come from 1 John. Uh, near the newer, near the back of the Newer Testament, and this will be chapter four. I'm going to read verses one through three, and then jump to read verses nine through thirteen. So hear these words, beloved. Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone into the world. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that it is coming, and now it is already in the world. And now verse 9. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us, and His love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us, because He has given us of His Spirit. May God's blessing be on the reading and living out of this word. One of my favorite pictures in recent years is a shot of myself with the co-founder of Urban Village, Trey Hall. Many of you who listen know that Trey moved to England now more than three years ago. And when I was over in England, I was on a pilgrimage, a John Wesley pilgrimage, and got a chance to visit uh, Trey and his husband in Birmingham, England. Now, I've never been much of a soccer fan, or in England, of course, they would say a football fan. But while I was there, I thought some, you know, English football is beginning to grow in popularity here in the United States. And I thought maybe I'll choose a team uh, and begin following it just a little bit. So, because I was in Birmingham, there are two major soccer clubs or football clubs in Birmingham. One is called uh, Birmingham City. The other is called Aston Villa. And so I did a little bit of research and it turns out that Aston Villa was actually started by Methodists. So that made all the sense in the world for me to choose Aston Villa as my team. So there's an Aston Villa store in downtown Birmingham. So I went and bought a shirt and bought a hat, stocking cap, Aston Villa stocking cap. So there's a picture of Trey and myself, and I'm wearing my Aston Villa gear, and I'm mugging for the camera and pretending like I am a, a devout and rabid football fan. But of course, it was just that day that I became an Aston Villa fan. But I like the shirt, I like the stocking cap, so occasionally I wear them here in the States. And every once in a while, as I wear these out in public, again, either the hat or the shirt, someone will come up to me and say, oh, you're an Aston Villa fan. And whenever someone says that to me, I have this initial response of dread because I am a total imposter when it comes to being a fan. 
Uh, I check the standings every once in a while, how they're doing. I have I couldn't name a player if you forced me, but a person will come up to me and again because even though English football is growing in popularity here in the states, it's not every day that you see someone else wearing something like an Aston Villa hat or wearing an Aston Villa shirt. So the person who is dying maybe to talk to somebody about this will come up to me. And even before I can say, well, I'm really not that big of a fan, they will just start chatting with me about Aston Villa lore or how the team's doing. And I must confess that I don't have the courage to confess anything. So I just kind of nod and smile and maybe try to throw another team out there that the person may know to make it look like I know what I'm talking about when actually I don't. So if they really were pushing me and quizzing me on who's your favorite player, I would have to confess. And my knowledge would be um, brought to light if they would only just test uh, my spirit, test my devotion to this club. It would be uh, pretty shallow. I thought about that as I thought about this sermon today and also this sermon series and this passage from 1 John about testing. So we are in the midst of a sermon series called What Next? All about discernment. Some of the biggest questions we can ask God are, what am I supposed to be doing? And that can apply to any number of things. It can apply to relationships that we might be in. It might be whether we are supposed to be in a job or not, a particular job or a certain vocation, where we're supposed to live, all kinds of ways that this question can be applied. And if we are a person of faith, we want some guidance. And so we ask God, Lord, what am I supposed to be doing? Where am I supposed to be going? Who am I supposed to be with? So we can ask the question, perhaps, that might be the easy part. It's listening for the answer that's the challenge. So we've been trying to find different ways that we can begin the process of really doing some discernment and listening to get a sense of, where is God leading me? So in our passage today from 1 John, we bring up this whole notion of testing decisions, or in the scripture, it talks about testing the spirits. So it might be a little helpful to talk about what's going on in this scripture. Again, it's in the latter part of the Newer Testament in this passage called 1 John. Scholars don't know exactly who wrote it. Uh, Traditionally, some have thought that the author of the Gospel of John also wrote these letters. If you kept going, you'd see there's a 1 John and a 2 John and a 3 John. And it's hard to know for sure, but we can know a few things, that this was a letter written to a group of Christians, early Christians. And the author is addressing a specific set of problems. I think sometimes we forget in the church that there are actual humans in the Bible. We may sometimes take the Bible and we elevate it to this very lofty status. And I'm not saying we shouldn't take the scriptures seriously or that we shouldn't love what the Bible says for us. But I think it's helpful to read some of these passages and remember that there are real humans who are dealing with real human issues in these passages. So it appears that there is disagreement in the church. So from the very beginning of the church. There has been politics, there have been disagreements, and so at times when we wring our hands perhaps at politics that we may see in our own churches, uh, we're in good company. So there's some problems going on. Apparently some members, or maybe former members, while not claiming to sin, they failed to obey Jesus' commandments, and it turns out that they're hating rather than loving their brothers and sisters in the faith. So again, 
sometimes when we wonder what's wrong with the church, we can take a little bit of solace in knowing that this happened from the very beginning. So, people are hating each other rather than loving one another. And another problem is this, that some people are denying that Jesus was really human. There was a brand, or I should say a a theology that was called uh, docetism, which was the belief that Jesus only seemed or appeared to have a human body, that he wasn't real. There was a group of people called the Gnostics who believed this. They believed that anything material was just inherently evil. So they believed that really people just thought they saw Jesus, but Jesus wasn't truly in the flesh. And the author of this letter, 1 John, was having none of it. And so, in all of these arguments that are happening in the church, the author of this letter, John, is saying we need to have some kind of test to to sense who is really speaking truth here, who is in the right. So, one test that John wanted to lift up, and we see this here in the passage today, when he says, by this you know the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God. That's what he's talking about. That's one test. The second test is this. Are they, is it all grounded in love? Love is throughout this uh, part of the scriptures, throughout this letter. The author talks about how God's love is revealed through Jesus. And then noting that God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. If we love one another, God lives in us and God's love is perfected in us. This is a test as well. Is whatever the person is saying or their actions, does it convey love? Is it grounded in love? So these are the tests that he thinks that need to be used to make sure Is this person on the right track? Is this person following down the road of faith, confessing Jesus was human? But is whatever they're doing, is it grounded in love? And I found particularly this sense of asking, is this grounded in love? Is the decision really truly steeped in love? I found that to be really helpful this week as I've been doing my own discernment about lots of things going on in my life. Am I doing this out of love? And if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes we have to realize that it might not always be the case. One of the first tests we did when we started Urban Village was uh, Trey and I, and as we're beginning to get folks who are interested in this church, we have to, of course, come up with a name for the church. So we went through this process. I think we brainstormed probably 50 different names. And then we narrowed that down to about 20 or so. And then we sent this list of people that we knew, friends and uh, other colleagues. And we sent this list of 20 saying, what do you think? So then out of those responses, we narrowed it down to five. So we knew that, all right, we have to come up with a decision. I think I really can't remember what each of us uh, wanted or how we were deciding. I think we both had our own favorites. If I remember correctly, the five choices were... Uh, Sanctuary, Hope Church, Grace Church, Lakeside Church, and Urban Village. And so uh, neither of us, I don't remember which was our favorite, but neither of us chose Urban Village as our favorite. 
But we knew this church, we don't want this church just for people like us. We want this church to be for people who are, as we said, bored or burned by religion in the past. So we did a focus group. We put on Craigslist a call for people who don't go to church and said, we want to gather people in a focus group and we will give you Starbucks gift cards if you come, give us an hour of your time and help us to decide what to call this church. And again, we emphasize we don't want church people. So we had about eight to 10 people show up and respond to the uh, ad on Craigslist. And so we told them, this is what we want the church to be. And perhaps I think Trey and I maybe wanted our own favorites to to win out. Uh, And it was almost unanimous that people said to us, if you're really serious about this kind of vision you have for your church, Urban Village is the one. It's a no-brainer. And I think it surprised Trey and I a little bit. And we were a little, at the time, we thought, wow, this is kind of an edgy name. But in that process, I think it reminded me, and I had to ask myself, it was a test of sorts. Not only we were focus testing, but also I had to ask myself, did I want my name uh, or my choice just because that's what I wanted? Or was I allowing myself to let the Spirit have a say in all of this too. What's the name that's going to help us to truly do God's work? And it was Urban Village, so I had to put aside my own and put it to this own test to see what's God have in the midst of the rather than my own personal preference or my own agenda. So that was, I think, one of the first ways for us to test or to use testing as a way for us to get a sense of what does God want for us in this whole process When we say, is something grounded in love, that might sound good. It might sound uh, like it's the churchy thing to say. But if we're serious about it, we have to then also ask ourselves, well, what do we mean by that? Is it grounded in love? Certainly this weekend, we were thinking a lot about the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. And I was reading a sermon of his a few days ago that he preached at his church Uh, in Montgomery. This was in November 57, so he's still pretty early in his ministry, and he preached a sermon called Loving Your Enemies. And he said, this is a topic and a scripture. He preached from Matthew 5, 43 through 45, Jesus talking about loving your enemies. And he said, Dr. King preaches on this once a year. And I want to quote a couple things as a really wonderful definition of love that Dr. King gives to us. And he says this, it is a love that seeks nothing in return. This kind of love is an overflowing love. It's what theologians would call the love of God working in the lives of others. And when you rise to love on this level, you begin to love men, not because they are likable, but because God loves them. You look at every person and you love him because you know God loves him. And he might be the worst person you've ever seen. So already, Dr. King is getting at the heart of what love is. This is not some flowery love that only is about rainbows and unicorns. And so later in the sermon, Dr. King goes on. He said, that is the meaning of love. In the final analysis, love is not this sentimental something that we talk about. It's not merely an emotional something. Love is creative, understanding goodwill for all. It is the refusal to defeat any individual. When you rise to the level of love of its great beauty and power, you seek only to defeat evil systems 
individuals who happen to be caught up in that system you love, but you seek to defeat the system, which is a really important thing to distinguish. When we fight for justice, we are fighting against systems that have been intractable for decades or even centuries, while still doing our best to love the individual. Because, as Dr. King says, God loves them. So when we are in discernment and we want to test something and we ask ourselves the question, is this grounded in love or is it grounded only in agenda, our own personal agenda or selfishness? That gets at the heart of it. And that's when we have to not only bring this to God in prayer, but begin to ask others too. And that's hard. Because it's natural to want our own agenda. It's natural to want to hate others who stand against us and to differentiate between evil systems and evil individuals. One classic way of doing this kind of testing is something that is steeped in the Quaker tradition called clearness committees. Clearness committees are really, you gather a group of folks trusted folks to just ask you questions. So if you, for example, come to this group and say, I am considering making this decision, and it is upon the clearness committee not to tell you what to do, but simply to ask questions. And that's all they're doing. They're asking you questions so that they are inviting you to begin to discern with the help of the spirit that they believe that is in the room. As part of our church planting cohort that Urban Village has led this past year, We have a a woman who is a Quaker church planter, and she actually took whether she should get married to a certain individual to a clearness committee, which is a huge step of faith. And so one of my favorite stories of clearness committee was written by a spiritual author named Parker Palmer, and he writes about this in one of his books, Let Your Life Speak. And he uh, was thinking about taking a job. It was a pretty prestigious job. He was the president of an institution. And so, uh, Parker Palmer writes this. He said, it is, as he looks back on it, he said, it was clear that my real intent in convening this job was not to discern anything, but to brag about being offered a job I had already decided to accept. So, think about that in our own discernment. How often do we uh, think or say we're discerning when already we have kind of made the decision ourselves? But he did. He went through this clearness committee and he said the questions or answer were easy at first. And then somebody asked him, Parker, what would you like about being president? And then Parker started by answering. He said, well, I wouldn't like all the politics involved. I wouldn't like having to give up my study and teaching. I wouldn't like to have to raise funds. And the uh, questioner reminded him or interrupted saying, yes, but the question was, what would you like? And he said, I'm coming to that. He said a little irritably and then went on to list several more irksome things. I wouldn't want to give up my summer vacations. And then the question was called for the third time. And then Parker said this, and here I'm quoting. He said, I felt compelled to give the only answer that came from the very bottom of my barrel, an answer that appalled even me as I spoke it. Well, said I in the smallest voice I possess, I guess what I like most is getting my picture in the paper with the word president under it. I was sitting with seasoned Quakers who knew that though my answer was laughable, my mortal soul was clearly at stake. They did not laugh at all, but went into a long and serious silence, a silence in which I could only sweat and inwardly groan. 
Finally, my questioner broke the silence with a question that cracked all of us up and cracked me wide open. Parker, he said, can you think of an easier way to get your picture in the paper? This is one of my favorite stories uh, for many reasons because I relate very much to this whole process of thinking when I am in quote-unquote discernment, I'm really A, already have my mind made up, and B, that my agenda is not driven by love. My agenda is not driven by what God desires, but instead my agenda is driven by my own selfishness and what will make me look good. That's discernment for me at times. So this has been a very helpful story for me over the years, as has this passage. When you are making a decision, we should not only ask ourselves, what does God desire for me? But we must ask ourselves, is this decision rooted in love? The kind of sacrificial love that Jesus named, that Dr. King named, a love that looks to bestow that kind of compassion and welcome to others, even those with whom we are in opposition. That's challenging love. It's deep love. It's the kind of love that God has for you and for me and for others. And that's when we are making decisions. That should be our foundation. Is what I'm about to do grounded in love? And so hopefully we can ask that not in a superficial way, that we're merely wearing a love hat or a love shirt and that someone comes up to us and asks us a question and that we will not be speechless, but instead we can respond and say, yes, yes, I believe in this. I believe in this kind of love. And we trust that God will be loving us as we do so. Amen. Well, friends, thank you for listening once again this week. I will be back again next week. It'll be our last sermon in this particular series. As always, you can reach out to me, Christian, at urbanvillagechurch.org with any questions you might have, uh, and I'll be happy to do my best to answer those. And so until then, may the peace of Christ be with you.